Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. I'm Michael Glover. Uh, I am the Content Marketing Manager at ConvertFlow. Uh, it's an online um, app for uh, helping marketers increase uh, website conversions. Um, and I've been w working here remotely, uh, based in DC, uh, for a couple of years and working remotely at previous marketing roles um, in the past as well. Awesome. It's super glad to have you on the on the podcast. Michael, can you tell me a little bit more about like the most exciting thing you're working on these days? Yeah, so I suppose that the most exciting thing is um, our, uh, as a content marketing manager, our uh, content strategy at ConvertFlow, which um, has really started to take off in terms of uh, SEO over the past year. Um, we've started to, to see some real growth in uh, SEO traffic uh, to, to our site and just kind of continuing to, uh, to optimize that. Uh, mainly through a section of the site called uh, what we call our campaign library, uh, which is really starting to, uh, to to pay some dividends in terms of traffic and conversions for us. Um, and we're, we're basically there sharing lots of different uh, campaign ideas, examples and templates and things like that for marketers um, and tied to very specific keywords. Um, and yeah, the, 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 I suppose the most exciting thing is the fact that it's, like I said, really starting to, to take off um and um and, and see some real uh traffic uh driven to our site from that um and yeah we're just gonna try and uh try and increase uh the the volume of, of posts and things like that going to that uh, over the next few months um as well as hopefully layering on some some other uh content experiments on top of that as well yeah i love the idea that you just said the word like content experiments um, was this like an original content experiment that you had? Um, and if so, how did you kind of come up with that idea? Yeah, so um, it, the, the, the initial idea of the campaign library, um, it was uh, kind of was brought about before I, I started at, at the company. It was um, kind of a, a bit of an experiment by uh, the founders when uh, back in the, the earlier days of, of ConvertFlow a couple of years ago. Um, and it was basically off the back of uh, like a canvas style strategy where you've probably seen uh, like if you Google things around, you know, kind of uh, logo templates or like any kind of design related template or example and stuff like that. Canva usually comes up for something related to that and kind of it's very close to the product. It's very, um, very product related and drives people into the product quite quickly uh, and so our, uh, our founders started to, to experiment with that uh, kind of concept but for uh, marketers uh, and so things like landing page templates and pop-up templates and uh, examples and things like that because obviously that's, that's kind of what ConvertFlow does um, and it's very closely related to our product. Um, saw a little bit of success with that uh, initially and then I came, I came on board to kind of try and uh, really organize and scale that um, which we've which we've done over the last over the last year or so, kind of just picking out very specific keywords um, and yeah, it's um, an experiment that started, and then once we saw some traction with it, uh, really started to, to 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 hone in on it and and really try and uh, grow it as much as we can. 
Love it. Um, and I know like you uh, produce like really high quality and quite a lot of content for ConvertFlow. Um, I think I saw a Twitter thread of yours a few weeks, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago where you're kind of talking through like, I think it was like 12 of the uh, top performing articles on the site or whatever. Um, I also know just offhand from chatting with you off the record that you have a really small team. So can you maybe talk a little bit more about how you optimize your existing, like your personal workflow, as well as to be able to produce the, not only the depth, um, but also like the volume of content you've been able to produce. Yeah, so just to give some, some context, we have uh, a number of different uh, kind of content areas of the website that, that we produce uh, so we have the campaign library which i've just talked about uh, then we also do have like a regular blog where we talk a bit more in depth around education stuff around conversion and and things somewhat related to, to convert first product and um and we kind of go into a bit more of the strategy side and the education side of, of things on on the blog itself rather than strict examples and templates and things which is on the campaign library side of things um and then we also have a a weekly roundup email which is the that's what the, the thread that you just mentioned the twitter thread was was relating to um where we we basically try and scour uh the internet for um the kind of the best conversion related blog posts and twitter threads and um and, and things like that and podcasts and uh, all that kind of stuff and then we kind of consolidate them into a into a weekly email for our readers uh, so um yeah I, I suppose going back to your original question about organizing productivity and workflows and stuff like that a lot of it comes back to um to using the right tools to, to manage that so i use notion for pretty much everything uh relating to that uh we have um quite an extensive content calendar built out in in notion um, and kind of planned out we, we have uh, things around um, content ideas that can then get turned into actionable um, tasks that need that need to happen then and then added to an actual calendar and so we know exactly when things are going out and, and when things need to be produced and, and stuff like that and then tied to that we have uh, as I'm sure uh, you've experienced as, as one of our writers uh, we have a um a, a content brief uh section uh so all of our briefs that we use uh for, for writers uh is done via notion and kind of nicely organized and tied in with our content calendar um and and then kind of off the back of that uh we produce more content of ourselves of, of our own by kind of via the email by kind of leaning on other people's content and obviously always attributing and linking out to to if, if we link to someone's podcast then obviously we fully attribute that to, to everyone we don't ever claim it to be our to be our own but it's kind of a it's a very nice uh way of us um just sharing more content with our uh with our readers with our email subscribers uh that's helpful to them uh, and helps us stay top of mind as a, as a kind of brand as as well so um yeah uh, it's it's about kind of just managing uh leaning on freelancers as much as possible managing everything uh in, in as streamlined a way as possible via an app like like notion or something similar um, and then just trying to, to, to leverage uh, what else is out there and other people's opinions and experts uh, as, as, as much as well so we're not kind of just relying on ourselves to create all this uh, all this different content we can always rely on other people's as well yeah, absolutely and you mentioned notion as one of the tools that you use for collaboration um, it sounds like you probably do a lot more collaboration like asynchronously than like 
being on Zoom calls or on chats. Would you say that's kind of accurate? Yeah, definitely. It's something that we're, we're very kind of intentional about at ConvertFlow um, and the, 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 the founders, uh, our CEO and, uh, and CTO, uh, are really great about kind of not make not getting everyone on calls all the time for things. So we have our weekly uh, syncs, um, or some people might call them all hands kind of calls, where we have the the, the whole company in on, on a weekly call where we kind of discuss KPIs and stuff like that. Uh, we have uh, weekly department syncs, uh, which are which are via Zoom. Um, and apart from that, it's kind of just the the very uh, odd ad hoc kind of meeting as and when we also rely uh, on things like um, sharing videos and screen shares uh, asynchronously um, through like stuff like loom and sharing stuff on, on slack uh, that way so it's it's a it's it's a really nice kind of work environment to be in from that point of view and I know other people who have kind of gone into remote work from the uh, off the back of the pandemic, uh, who usually work in offices and have like some, some of my friends have basically talked to me about just having total and complete zoom fatigue from having to go on zoom calls for like meetings that could have been like a five minute phone call or could have just been on like an email or a message or something and then ended up on a zoom call back to back for hours on end. Um, and our company is like really intentional about trying to minimize the amount of of, uh, of of zoom calls trying to keep things asynchronous as much as possible and um and notion is a is, is a really good way of us doing that of just being able to kind of connect and collaborate on on things we have a really nice setup with the with the workspace uh in, in notion as well uh, so yeah it's just really easy to collaborate and, and work asynchronously with all these different cool apps and tools and stuff that's available now yeah i have so many follow-up questions to what you just said there <laughs> as a fellow person who very much leans into asynchronous communication and um, I've actually had quite a few episodes now that have gone into this topic as well. I'm always curious to hear um, like what are some of the strategies for someone who might be listening to this who's in an organization that does do a ton of Zoom calls like back to back all the time. What are some strategies that they can kind of leverage to kind of maybe take back control a little bit of control in their calendar and start to be able to kind of get work done asynchronously or just carve out more like deep work blocks yeah i think uh it's it starts with kind of a, a an initial just commitment from leadership to say we are actually going to cut down on face-to-face -face calls we think we can do this asynchronously for, for the most part um and then moving into like then just blocking out time because most companies will always need regular um connection between departments and kind of company-wide and things like that so like i said we, we still do have zoom meetings we have a regular uh zoom meeting on on a monday to kind of go through the the week's uh kpis for each department and stuff like that in a kind of all hands weekly sync style uh and it's it's just about trying to just carve out your week and saying what needs to happen and where um and then putting these dedicated meetings in and then trying to be very intentional around what goes into those meetings, keeping those meetings very structured in terms of what is being talked about and uh, making sure that, that as much of the kind of usual weekly stuff uh, is being discussed so that we're not going to kind of get off 
that call 30 minutes later and go, oh, we need to talk about this and let's have another quick kind of uh, Zoom call or Slack, Slack call or whatever. Uh, happens on the rare occasion when it needs to, if we're kind of going through a big product launch or something like that, uh, then uh, obviously you kind of get the old ad hoc kind of calls and stuff like that when it's just easier to, to discuss things on the phone or uh, and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, just being very intentional around scheduling those meetings uh, throughout the week and knowing what's going to go into those meetings. And then on top of that, layering on things like your asynchronous communication tools like uh, like Loom. Loom has just been like huge for, for us in terms of just being able to share things and kind of just express things uh, vocally, because I think that sometimes needs to happen. It's not always possible to really express stuff via a Slack message or an email. Sometimes you just can't be bothered typing it all out. Sometimes it's just hard to get your point across when it's just so much easier to just get something up on a screen and then talk talk over it as, as you're doing it just to kind of visually show someone. So committing to using uh, things like Loom um, and, uh, and, and making sure that the whole company, no matter how many people are in that company, knows that asynchronous uh, is is a thing like that it is possible to actually like just communicate with someone asynchronously through sharing on on loom or uh or just dropping a message and that we don't need to uh get on a call right now right this very second to talk about something that you know inevitably turns from something that could be five minutes because you have usually uh, small talk and things like that so it turns into from five minutes to 20 minutes or 20 minutes to 30 minutes and then before you know it, you're just in, in these back-to-back -back pointless zoom calls and no, no one ever gets anything done uh, so I think just kind of at the root of it all is that commitment to being uh, asynchronous uh, and um, and then just scheduling everything uh, beforehand and knowing what's going to go into the, to those specific meetings that do happen yeah absolutely um you often like I don't know if you've heard this, but I've certainly heard this a bunch where it's, you know, from the anti-remote work, anti-async crowd saying that you can't possibly build company culture on a async first, in an async first company. Um, and it sounds like at Convertful, you guys have a really strong, tight-knit company culture. Are there things that you deliberately have done, uh, either you or kind of the founders, um, the, the two founders have actually done to be able to like really have that like good work culture where just things happen and yeah yeah the i think uh you know it's kind of always relatively easier when it's a smaller company so you know we're, we're only uh five people at the moment at, at the company uh full-time employees we use a lot of kind of freelancers and stuff but full-time employees were just five people uh and uh, it's kind of easier when you're kind of on slack and everyone's everyone's there everyone's on the same time zone at the moment so it's uh so it is easier when it's a smaller company and to kind of come like uh, feel like you're connecting more with people uh just via slack messages but they've also been really good uh the, the two founders ethan and jonathan um at just again being really intentional with the fact that they want people to uh to be able to connect with each other uh and i think that comes across in the way they've hired so far um you know hiring obviously for kind of just ability in the in the job uh description but also the kind of people that they want to hire at the company and bringing them in making sure they're going to fit in with people um and then kind of going back to one of those uh one of those scheduled meetings that, that we have one of them is on a on, on a friday afternoon the last thing of the week is is uh, what they call a happy hour meeting 
where kind of everyone gets onto gets onto a happy hour call, uh, and we just talk about anything and everything that's kind of going on through the week, uh, usually non-work related, um, and it's a great way for for everyone to kind of connect. Um, might not work quite so well as a, as a whole company thing if you're kind of a, a huge company. Maybe it kind of needs to be broken up into departments and teams and uh, and things like that. But that's just a really good way to um, to schedule out some time in the week. Uh, maybe it doesn't need to be a week at your company. Maybe it needs to be every two weeks or every month or something like that. Uh, but just to uh, to actually connect with each other and, and have that kind of ongoing uh, ongoing thing, so people get to know each other. And then when the async stuff does happen people feel more connected to each other and, and you feel more like a, in, in a, in a community of, um, and, and, and a nice culture, uh, is something like we've, I've worked at the company now for uh, about 18 months. Um, the company's been going for four or five years. Uh, there's, uh, uh, our customer support, uh, person, Mariana has been at the company for, uh, I think two years now, uh, maybe two and a half years. Um, and we all kind of feel like a, a really close-knit team of people, uh, even though uh, none of us have ever actually met in person. And so I think that's just kind of testament to the way things are set up at the company in terms of culture, in terms of uh, async working and the kind of people that, are, that have been hired. Um, I think there's a whole kind of a whole lot of uh, different things that kind of go into that pot to make sure that, um, that the actual culture can still be maintained while still the communication and making sure that everyone can still do their job without being on back-to-back Zoom calls all the time. Got it. And I'm not sure if this is, and feel free to tell me if this is not going to go off topic, but what are some of the things that you like, that you have like personally looked for to be able to make sure that, you know, people who are working in, within your team um, are going to, you know, be set up for success in an async first environment? Um, I think it's some kind of subtle signals, certainly in terms of uh, like m- myself, uh, reaching out to and starting to work with with freelancers, um, and, and it's subtle things in the actual whether you want to call it application process or kind of get to know process or initial kind of process or whatever. Uh, but things like speedy responses to emails, um, making sure that, uh, for example, uh, you can kind of use scheduling links and, and and stuff like that. Just kind of like really subtle things that in the actual interview or hiring or setup process um, that the person is just really capable of using these different tools and is really open to these tools and obviously uh, has if, if they've used them all before they're just kind of u- used to using them um, and the whole process actually goes smoothly um, because because we're a, a predominantly an asynchronous company uh, and certainly a, a, a remote first company. Um, the actual hiring process and setup process is that as well. So if the person coming into the team doesn't kind of fit in well in terms of uh, all, all the kind of stuff that, that we do in the hiring process, then it probably means that they're not going to fit in well in the actual, uh, if they were to come onto the team as well. Uh, from that point of view. So um, yeah, I think it's just paying attention to a lot of subtle things during the actual setup process, hiring process. That's fascinating. Can you talk a little bit more about what your hiring process is and specifically some of those asynchronous components? Yeah, so 
Um, it depends on the role. Um, for, for, for myself as the content marketing manager, uh, it's very much about uh, hiring freelance writers uh, at the moment. So it's not necessarily a huge amount of asynchronous stuff, uh, although I suppose things like uh, being able to quickly schedule meetings via scheduling links and, and things like that and kind of quick responses to, to emails is, is a huge thing. Uh, so generally speaking, uh, if I was to go out and hire a new freelance writer, I would kind of uh, go out and, and find people, uh, dig out myself or add in, in uh, some of the uh, kind of remote places, remote job places. Um, and it would generally be kind of reach out by email. How speedy is that response via email? How kind of um, open are they to scheduling on, on links and things like that? And then we kind of go through to a, uh, a, a get to know you call and, um, and kind of move forward from there. Uh, in terms of like company wide hiring, we have in the past used things like like tasks, uh, setting people assignments and stuff like that related to the job uh, that they're in. Uh, so we've tried to uh, do this offline for the most part uh, and have people kind of submit these things uh, offline. Uh, and that's that's kind of a huge part of the of the hiring process there. Uh, and then trying to minimize the actual number of calls and interviews and stuff like that uh, so that we don't have back-to-back -back interviews time and time and time again. Uh, I know there's a lot of uh, initial stuff that goes into making sure that someone's going to fit in before we actually get them on a call uh, to be a, a, a synchronous, uh, so to speak, communication. Um, and shifting gears just a little bit, would you say you're an introvert or an extrovert? I'm definitely an, an introvert. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely recharge my batteries by kind of being by myself or with very few people, very people uh, close to me. Uh, and yeah, I, I, a definite introvert. And a couple of following questions to that. Do you think remote work in general kind of favors introverts? I can't speak for extroverts because I'm not one myself, but I know that I certainly for myself, it does kind of sit well with with the more introverted side of me uh I, I especially when it comes to like like i said the asynchronous kind of things if i was on back-to-back -back zoom calls i think i would probably have to leave that that role whatever it would be uh just because the idea of just constantly being kind of engaging with people uh over and over again via via call uh is something that that kind of really uh just the thought of it kind of drains <laughs> drains me uh and so yeah i think there are parts of it that's, that sit well with, with introverts. And I think a lot of more extroverted people would probably crave that kind of office culture of just having like the buzz around the office and, and stuff like that. Although I'm, I might be making uh, assumptions there, but yeah, it, it definitely sits well with my kind of introverted tendencies, being able to kind of just have my own office, be at home by myself and kind of go online when I need to, but also kind of just like take some uh, take a step away and, and, and be have that more kind of private time as well. Uh, I think it sits well with, with the introvert side of me. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely relate to that. Um, do you also, and just kind of on the same topic of introverts versus extroverts, do you actually think that as an introvert, you're kind of better suited to be a leader? Or do you feel like an extroverted, a very extroverted person is going to be a better like leader? I think you need traits from both. Um, like in, introverts, I, I suppose, kind of, if you go by a strict definition, would be would tend to be more quieter and more better at kind of listening, I, I, I suppose. Uh, and so you definitely need that to, to be a leader in, in any role, to be able to kind of take on board what people are saying and truly understand it. But then the, the I, I, I feel 
probably the extra you, you would definitely need some extroverted tendencies to be able to motivate and possibly uh just kind of like be, be more motivational externally and potentially uh express yourself uh, a little bit more um so yeah I, I think the introverted side of me uh leans uh, towards that uh, being that sort of quieter leader uh but i think generally speaking people just kind of need to understand what they what they are best at and uh, try to to use what they have uh to be the kind of leader that is kind of natural to their to their personality and 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 i think that it's not necessarily about being or introverted is is the better leader or extrovert is the better leader it's about understanding who you are and um and and using the the weapons that you have uh to to lead in the way that is more natural and most effective for for you absolutely well absolutely and very well said kind of shifting gears just a little bit i know you have kind of a, you have a really fascinating background for how you got into marketing. I think you'd mentioned before about being a personal trainer and but and even owning a, like a fitness studio. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what, kind of what you did there and how that kind of experience kind of shifted you not only to get into marketing but how that's actually helped you be a better marketer? Yeah. So, um, I, I, I like you said, I used to be a personal trainer um, back in uh, it's around 2011, 2012 when I first started. Uh, I started by uh, working in kind of one of the big box uh, gyms, uh, walk, one of the annoying guys that kind of walk around asking people if they want fitness help. Uh, and um, and then kind of built up a little bit of a client base and went into owning my own little gym slash personal training studio uh, back home in the UK. And yeah, I, I, I kind of had somewhat success with, with that, uh, kind of grew a client base there and did a lot of... Um, especially when I got my, my own gym, I did a lot of work on uh, the, the website for, for that gym and kind of growing some traffic to the website, experimenting with stuff like Facebook ads um, and uh, had some success with uh, kind of local SEO, uh, very uh, inadvertently, <laughs> unintentionally, without really knowing what I was doing. I uh, didn't have a clue like what a, what a backlink was or anything like that back then, but uh, kind of had some, some success just through generally being uh, putting out content that was generally better than what other people in the area were putting around. So uh, kind of having some, some local SEO success there. Um, and then soon discovered after that, that I don't, I didn't really enjoy too much the actual day-to-day -day of training people and doing personal trainer stuff uh, every single day. Uh, and found myself being drawn more and more and more over to uh, the website side of things. Uh, creating Facebook ads, testing new Facebook ads, driving traffic to the website, um, and, and really trying to optimize the website side of things, almost to the point where I was really excited when we got traffic and we got conversions, but then the actual, anything after that, I was quite, um, uh, it was kind of like a, a, an anti-climax. It was like, oh, okay, we've got this new customer. I've actually got to like fulfill the, uh, the workout side of things uh, for, for that now. So um, I decided to, uh, to to leave that business and go into marketing as, as full-time. Um, and from there, uh, started working in, in, in content, found I really enjoyed the, uh, the, the SaaS, uh, sorry, the, um, uh, the, the SEO uh, side of things. So I started working remotely for a company called Vico, uh, which is a SaaS company, um, and then moved into uh, the company that I'm at now, ConvertFlow. So uh, yeah, definitely... Uh, taught me to be a better marketer by just understanding from a uh, 
from a, a, a business owner's point of view, what is needed from, uh, from marketing and from, uh, particularly when it comes to content and stuff like that, that, you know, it really is, I've kind of understood straight away early on in my days that, you know, regardless of um, how, of what you do in content marketing, it's, it's, visitor numbers traffic numbers is just is just completely futile uh as a metric uh that what business owners especially when it's smaller businesses they want revenue and conversions and, and leads and things like that so uh kind of help me understand really early on uh that side of things and just being able to kind of get my uh get my ground to the, get my ear to the ground and get my kind of uh be in the kind of uh, in the trenches, uh, working on things, experimenting with things, uh, without having, um, without having necessarily too much theory behind it. So I was just able to go and do, as opposed to, um, as opposed to doing too much learning. Uh, and then I was able to kind of just like hone that through reading books and articles and blogs and podcasts and stuff uh, off the back of that. So uh, I think that really helped me. Uh, in, in those early in those early days, uh, just to be able to to actually do instead of just learn theoretical things. Yeah, I love how you just put that as where it's just focusing on like you know actually gaining that experience and trying new things instead of just taking going from you know one course to the next and never actually applying that knowledge. Exactly. Um, yeah. Going back to your days running a gym, um, how did you even like stumble upon local SEO in the beginning? I'm guessing that you were a personal trainer probably didn't have much marketing knowledge at all back then like how did that happen um so I kind of I, I did a lot of reading uh or kind of just consuming content through things like Facebook posts and stuff like that uh that, that I saw and just thought about the idea of hey maybe I can like start writing blog posts and write writing Facebook posts and, and stuff like that around workout tips and stuff like that. And it was just, like I said, very unintentional, but just, I was a personal trainer in a place called Chester uh, in the UK. Um, and generally kind of writing articles, I just thought, hey, what if I just put like Chester on the end of this uh, kind of post? And it was like very rudimentary SEO stuff. Uh, like what if I put Chester in the meta title, even though I didn't know it was called like a title tag or anything like that back then it was just like what if I put Chester in there uh what if I just stick that on the end of it what if I just kind of reach out to this kind of lo the local newspaper and ask about writing a column or something like that on fitness and and then off the back of that getting backlinks to my to my website and it's just kind of like it wasn't necessarily that I was doing a guest posting strategy that what we call now like a guest posting strategy where you go out and get guest posts and link back to your website so you can build backlinks and all that kind of stuff but I was kind of inadvertently doing that through uh kind of reaching out to like local newspapers and writing articles and then off the back of that if I wrote an article there it would just inevitably bring a bring a link back to the website uh and then just kind of making sure that my site was focused on the local area so Chester and, and stuff like that and then I just naturally found that the, the traffic increased and I saw uh, more people uh, from the local area kind of coming to my coming to my website reading my articles and uh, and I kind of quickly understood the idea of building somewhat of an audience and building somewhat of uh, of an engaged uh, local kind of uh, yeah, yeah like a local local audience being exposed to them with the kind of tips and stuff like that that I was talking about um, 
was was just like a really powerful play uh and i like i said became much more enamored with the idea of of the whole growing that audience and kind of uh, and that kind of stuff rather than the actual workout stuff <laughs> so i decided to, to pivot but uh but yeah it, it was just kind of it's very, very unintentional but but a, a, a steep learning curve Absolutely. And you hinted something a little bit earlier on, I think, that I wanted to see if you'd elaborate on, which is, I feel like since you, uh, you know, have that experience as a business owner, um, I feel like, so you think that has given you some of an advantage when it comes to showcasing the ROI of marketing and how to put together reports that maybe someone who hasn't had that experience as a business owner, maybe has a little bit more of a learning, a steeper learning curve with? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it was kind of a, I was a, a one-man business, uh, so it wasn't like I was um, kind of had huge amounts of employees or I was like reporting to investors or anything like that. Uh, but I still kind of had that rudimentary idea of, I don't really care how much website traffic we get. Um, I care about the kind of website traffic we get, uh, the kind, I would rather have like 10 really relevant people to our website than a thousand random people um, and that I would rather have those 10 people convert into customers than have a, a million people who convert into no customers and it was I very kind of quickly understood that that is what I was bothered about and so that is surely what uh, owners and managers and kind of leaders at other companies are, are definitely going to be uh, uh, bothered about as well. So um, I, I definitely had to learn in terms of the actual st structure of how to like structure those reports and kind of how to actually report uh, and kind of build reports uh, uh, in spreadsheets or whatever it is uh, that, that we were kind of using, but uh, just the, the general concept uh, and ideas of it's like revenue and customers and conversions first. Like that's that's what any kind of business owner is going to be bothered about, especially early on. Um, and yeah, the, there's the, there's definite. I, I was very aware of the of the idea that there was uh, things of, of vanity metrics. Uh, so um, yeah, it, it was it was definitely useful um, for for the later stages. Yeah, absolutely. And what would you say? What would you say is your best tip for someone who's maybe producing, you know, marketing reports for the first time? Um, marketing reports for the first time, um, you need to know uh, who you're reporting to uh, and, um, and and like what, what they actually want to see. Uh, so kind of objectively, what exactly do they want, kind of want, want to see in those um uh in in those reports uh like what and so kind of an iter an iterative thing so if you can kind of report back first time ask what they want to see more of what they want to see less of uh that is uh like one of the the, the key things to, to build in those reports uh and then on an actual like um formatting point of view uh just make sure that you can actually like compare easily uh ups and downs and pits and troughs of uh, of what's going on uh, with with kind of whether you're reporting daily or weekly or monthly or whatever it is, uh, making sure that you can actually very easily pull trends out of those reports uh, because it's not it's not really like what's happened this week that is that is um, 
that anyone is really bothered about. Uh, it's what's happened this week compared to last week, compared to last month, compared to uh, three months ago. How are we kind of trending this year? Are we trending downwards? Are we trending upwards? How, how, how is everything kind of going? So I suppose making sure that you can very easily pull out the actual trends of, of your reports uh, and, and you can kind of visualize that. And, um, and then when it comes to actually reporting to the, the person above you, whoever that is, make it super easy for them to actually understand and consume uh, that report. Because if you can save your uh, manager or CEO, whoever it is you're reporting to, if you can save them time from having to understand your reports, then they're going to love you a hell of a lot more. <laughs> uh, so just making sure that it's really easy for you to, uh, for, for them to understand what you're trying to communicate with your reports and making it as simple as possible. That is such a great tip where it's, you know, just making it as easy as possible. Um, for your boss or your boss's boss to actually understand what's going on so they don't have to play detective. Yeah, exactly. They're just kind of like any kind of, uh, any leader will just be like, just, just tell me what, what is happening? What's, what's, what, what do we need to understand here? I don't want the fluff, especially as you get kind of into, into bigger and bigger companies uh, and people have more and more uh, things to manage and, and things like that. Uh, they just want to know like headline, what's going on, give it to me straight. I want to understand it easily. Uh, and so if you can do that with your reports, then uh, you're going to be a, a friend of your, of your boss. Absolutely. And I always like to ask a couple of lightning round questions. Sure. Um, if you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write it about? Um, I think off the top of my head, I would probably write it about... Um, one of two things I would write it about either finding your USP uh, in your content um, and, and what you can uniquely provide in your content or how to um, how to organize uh, the, the kind of content side of things in terms of like building out content calendars and a nice kind of um, uh, structured workflow for all that kind of stuff. Awesome. And if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose and why? Oh, man. Um, off the top of my head, uh, maybe if I went down the marketing route, um, maybe I would go down David Ogilvy or something like that, uh, just to kind of go down the, the, the copywriting route. Nice. And what about without non-copywriting route? Non-copywriting route? Uh, Man, um, maybe I would. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge, uh, I'm a huge soccer fan. Uh, so uh, maybe I would uh, go down. I don't know, one of the uh, <laughs> football soccer manager uh, or uh, Pele or something like that from the from from the past. Awesome. And if you were to win ten million dollars tomorrow. What would you spend it on? Um, I would, um, I I would want to start something uh, of my own. Um, I would probably start some kind of maybe DTC business uh, that is focused around. Um, improving an area uh, of uh, that's already out there but 
helping him improve uh, kind of the environmental impact of that area. So uh, something around something, some kind of DTC business that kind of provides um, a product, but in a much more environmentally friendly uh, way that has much less of an impact on, on the environment. So I think there's a lot of uh, businesses out there that uh, kind of supply products, but also have a huge impact on the environment. So uh, I, I love all kinds of businesses that kind of that have that as a as part of their uh, as part of their USP. Love it. Well, it's been amazing chatting with you. Where can uh, podcast listeners find you online? Uh, yes, yeah, so you can see uh, all of our stuff on ConvertFlow, convertflow.com slash blog, the campaign library is slash campaigns, uh, one that we talked about earlier. Uh, I also um, kind of on and off uh, uh, on, on Twitter uh, activity-wise, uh, but I'm there at, at DM Glover uh, on Twitter. Um, um, and yeah, you can, uh, you can go check me out there. Awesome. It was great chatting with you. Great chatting to you too. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.